Hello and welcome to the latest Safer West Mercia podcast. My name is John Campion and I'm the West Mercia Police and Crime Commissioner. I'm joined today uh, by somebody who I'll let introduce themselves. So my name is Sarah and I work for West Mercia Rape and Sexual Abuse Support Centre. So uh, West Mercia Rape and Sexual Abuse Centre, also known as RAZAC, uh, in, the, uh, you know, in the locality, a little less of a mouthful uh, in terms of, of a description, but an organisation that's been around uh, for a very long time. Um, so do you just want to talk a little bit about what RAZAC does and, and, and has done uh, in our society over yeah. the last three decades? Yeah, so yeah, as you've said, RAZAC's been going now for over 30 years started off as um, a helpline in somebody's spare room and has grown into the um, support service that it is today. Uh, over the last uh, five years that I've been there, um, it's certainly got a lot bigger. Um, and in terms of the support that we offer to survivors of sexual violence, though the services have grown and developed uh, and become much more survivor-led in terms of what we're offering. So we're really proud of the provision that we offer for Herefordshire and Worcestershire and Shropshire. It, um the particular focus of the organisation is one of the things in our society we don't talk a lot about, um, uh, that difficult, difficult subject. You know, you often hear that, don't you? That yeah. difficult subject of the impact of sexual violence. And, and I don't subscribe to that. It's, it's not difficult. It's yeah. uncomfortable and it should make us feel uncomfortable. Yeah. But uncomfortable to do something about it, not uncomfortable um, not to talk about it. Um, what was your motivation for, for, for wanting to do the work that you do in, in the organisation, what, what was the passion behind it and uh, to get involved in something that's not a, not a mainstream, mainstream activity? Yeah, it's certainly not run of the mill. Uh, my background is in youth work, so I started off uh, in Herefordshire delivering youth work and over the years developed an interest in delivering uh, relationships and sex education workshops to young people, both in the youth provision that I was running and also in schools and colleges. From that interest, really understanding that the general everyday information that young people receive, either from their parents or sometimes from school, from the media and the world around them, really doesn't prepare them for relationships. Um, we definitely have uh, more of a provision for uh, you know people learning to drive. They have to do their, uh, they have to read the highway code. They have to do their theory test. They have to take lessons. They have to do a practical test. But for relationships, young people are let out there into the world, um, having absorbed possibly unhealthy myths and stereotypes around sexual violence, which they will then take into those relationships. Um, and it can lead to situations that we then pick up as a support organisation at the other end. Because uh, one of the main focuses of our discussion today is something called Purple Leaf, which is... Yep. Uh, um, uh, some work uh, done by uh, your organisation yeah. around tackling uh, that sexual violence uh, amongst uh, children uh, and young people. Um, just tell us a little bit more about the about the program and, and the focus of the of the work because we've touched on a little bit around healthy relationships and yeah. others. But how does it get brought to life with young people? Yep. Yeah. So in terms of Purple Leaf, we've been delivering the program now for over twelve months. It's uh, an evolutionary process, really, for RASAC. We used to deliver the Selfie Project, uh, which I um, started off when I started with RASAC. That was the piece of work that I led. And it's evolved into Purple Leaf, which is a more targeted provision. So really thinking about the, the settings that, and the young people that could benefit the most from the key messages around what is or isn't okay in a relationship, what consent is, what it isn't, uh, challenging some of those 
beliefs that people uh, develop through either what they're told by parents or friends or that they pick up through films, media. Uh, a lot of young people are exposed to pornography at quite an early age, so the messages around what is healthy, what is acceptable or unacceptable can be very tainted by that and sometimes they're not uh, either within the law um, or not ethically um, okay. So really shining a light on what they think is okay um, and sort of opening alternative points of view really to them in as engaging a, a way as possible. You, um, you touched on it a little bit there, Sarah, around, say, the role of pornography mm -hmm. uh, or the role of the way that relationships are portrayed in our media or social media. Yep. Um, uh, from your experience, you know, as a practitioner mm. uh, in this area, what do you think are the things in society we, we, we need to, to sort out in terms of making the progress around to, to make those kind of things less impactive? In, uh, in, in the violence, the sexual violence that, that we are still seeing uh, yeah. and indeed we understand to be growing. Yeah, I think it's the important thing is to give young people and adults the right information, so factual information about what is or isn't okay so that they can then make an informed choice about what they go on to do. Um, young people, the support that they're given through schools, so the relationships and sex education curriculum has improved hugely over the last few years. The rollout of that within settings can vary hugely. You can have schools that incorporate it as a really key element of their um, school offer, and they have a whole school approach to PSHE. It's embedded throughout all of the curriculum. Other schools might only make time for, uh, say, a drop-down day once a term, where people are taken off curriculum um, of their usual subjects, and then maybe specialists like ourselves are invited in to do maybe a one-off session with those young people. What that doesn't then provide is the opportunity for young people to be presented with information, reflect on it, come back, uh, and then ask further questions. Whereas the Purple Leaf programme we're currently offering is a three... Uh, minimum of three sessions so that the messages can be conveyed, time to reflect and then the thought process and the debate can continue over the, the subsequent sessions. So that's really important for us. What's your, uh, what's your most re requested session? What's the... Definitely consent. Um, so people, even though it's something that we, all of us in our everyday life, give and get consent, uh, it might not be related to uh, sex and relationships but we we ask somebody if we can borrow their phone or if we can use their car or if we can uh, I know borrow their straighteners and this is what I would say within a, a session in a school so it's something that we do all the time but like you said earlier when it comes to talking about consent in relation to sex people get very nervous they get very confused they get very muddled uh, they get very um, sort of that they focus on what they consider to be the grey areas where actually there isn't a grey area. Consent is about informed choice. It is about free, freely given. Uh, somebody has to have the capacity. And unfortunately, the myths and stereotypes that are established around consent and about relationships and sexual violence mean that in terms of people's decision-making, they feel they can justify anything that's out of what is acceptable uh, because it fits in with... Um, some of the belief systems that we are conditioned with as we as we grow up. So this this isn't just young people; adults of all ages uh, also carry those views, and it uh, permeates through the responses. So young people, maybe where there's an issue at school, if they report it, 
uh, or it might be at you know in a workplace if it's reported to somebody whose views on consent and sexual violence are based on myth and stereotype they won't give them a supportive response they won't give them the um, informed decisions and, and methods that are going to help that person to recover from that experience the blame and responsibility will put on the person that's experienced it rather than on the person that's perpetrated it um, and that can be very challenging for individuals. Because the, um, the view around consent, uh, part of the contention is that the, because of the subject being talked about when it comes to sex, mm -hmm. is one maybe as a teenager you perhaps haven't uh, fully uh, matured through as to you know, what, what your own personal choices and, yeah. and, and makeup of, 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 of it might be, that there is extra layers of um, uh, embarrassment or, or, or hesitancy around to which yeah. then consent also goes down, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the suppression route. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I'm, I'm very keen for young people appropriately to have the kind of conversations that we maybe as a society need to be having. Yeah. More, more widely over, over the role of sex and, mm -hmm. and then the link with uh, consent that, that, that follows. And uh, in, a, in, a, in a safe environment in schools, that's, you know, that your yeah. work is a, is a really, really important one because it's not just about sex, it's about lots of things in life, as you've alluded to, uh, that uh, re respectful relationship to mm -hmm. others um, is, a, is a central part of our being kind, isn't it? Exactly. In, in, a, in our society. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, in terms of that confidence in 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 reporting and um, uh, speaking up when um, uh, when something has happened, um, what do you think needs to happen to to, to make that uh, improve? Because we do know lots of sexual violence uh, goes unreported. It does, um, yeah. and, and young people are no different in 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 in, in that. What do you think we we need to do as a society as a system to? Yeah to get that confidence up to be able to step forward and, and speak out? I think that people need to A, acknowledge that it exists and B, acknowledge why it exists. So it isn't because somebody has worn a certain outfit or drunk a certain amount of alcohol or um, chosen to walk, uh, walk home rather than taking the bus or a taxi. Sexual violence happens because people in our society feel entitled um, to carry it out. Um, and in, I think in terms of our general view of the world, that responsibility and accountability isn't placed on perpetrators. Um, things like media articles, the way that um, instances of sexual violence are reported, um, it, it might be that, um, you know, say there's an article on impacts of sexual violence on survivors, whereas, so that's almost, almost making it sound as if sexual violence is like a, an illness or a disease that doesn't have a, a cause, but the cause is the people that feel that it's okay to carry it out. So if media, and discussions held individuals who carry it out to account, then that would be a real, real good starting point. Um, so that, that shift in emphasis mm. away from the impact on the victim yeah. um, and actually then the, uh, the true behaviours and the consequences on the, on the perpetrators, because we have seen it in some parts of our society, haven't we, the, um, uh, the, the shift away from why don't they you know, keep themselves safer through to why yeah. don't they stop... Yep. Stop! Stop causing it. And and as a society, that as and as commissioner, that's one of the balances that has got to be played around the the, the messages to people to to manage their their mm. vulnerabilities yeah. through to the perpetrators to to stop to stop perpetrating. Because I I very much want to see us preventing yep. 
more uh, more crime and and sexual violence uh, is no different um but we've got to get there if that makes yes. sense there's yes. no fast forward but yes. is there no. and i i very much struggle with that message of uh, you know just keep yourself safer because yeah. that's not the answer no. is it no because, because somebody could do could follow every single um, suggestion about how to keep themselves safe, in inverted commas, um, and still be vulnerable to sexual violence because maybe their gender means that they're at increased risk of sexual violence or the location that they're in. So a lot of the work um, that um, we do with Purple Leaf and the, the new Safer Streets um, put, you know, work that we're starting to do, the focus about uh, sexual violence in terms of who who carries it out so there's a perception that it's stranger danger that somebody that you are um, that's in a dark corner or, or alleyway on the street that, that that's the vulnerability and yes those incidents happen the horrific um, rape and murder of Sarah Everard uh, shows that and that was very heavily reported but those are the more unusual incidents but those are the ones that make the headlines that's what gets the um, iconic yes yeah. yeah yeah whereas in terms of um uh, sexual violence that happens all of the time to individuals either in a in their home in their workplace uh, from a partner or a family member that doesn't get talked about because as a, as a society we really struggle to uh, accept that people will do that to people who in theory they're supposed to love and care for um, the other issue I think one of the main reflections that I've come to is that with work if somebody acknowledges that perpetrators are responsible for sexual violence then there are people that historically may have made decisions in that what they've done with with partners or other people which actually against the current framework of what is or isn't okay wouldn't be acceptable behavior but they don't want to label themselves as a perpetrator as a sex offender so if they continue to uh, use the myths and stereotypes to justify people's behavior they then stay on what they feel is an okay side of what's happening they're not the um they're not the stranger in the dark alleyway um, they're not in that sort of monster category uh, they're just somebody um making a choice that was okay because that person well well they'd, they'd had a drink but that was their choice to have a drink and the same with people who are impacted by sexual violence if they if they I think a lot of survivors will take on those myths and stereotypes as almost a protective mechanism. So if they consider them, their situation, think, well, if I'd not gone there, if I'd not drunk that, if I'd not worn that outfit, it wouldn't happen again. And it's almost like a protection. Or is that actually doesn't keep anybody any safer? Um, but nobody wants to sort of nobody wants to be either a victim or a perpetrator. And until we can move on from that part and say right there's, a, there's almost a line that right you know now um, but it's very difficult because the law obviously evolves all of the time and people so you know people of uh, my generation our understanding of the law would be very different to somebody maybe 20 or 40 years older um, but they're the people making decisions about things that impact on us um, right now yeah because I, I, I think that's a, a you, you just for me articulated the challenge of um, society developing, haven't you, and the law catching up, and you know public opinions, uh, you know perhaps crystallising. The the Purple Leaf, Leaf program has uh, has some pretty uh, impressive already uh, impacts when we are talking about that early intervention and prevention. Ninety five percent 
um, uh, have improved knowledge of warning signs of grooming, abusive, exploitive and healthy relationships. 96% had improved uh, understanding of what somebody uh, can do if they feel unsafe or uncomfortable in a situation. 96% had improved knowledge of where to go for support. There, there's some really good uh, early signs that the work is impactive. Mm. Um, in terms of mainstreaming, you mm. know, getting it out everywhere, what yeah. do you think of the main challenges is it getting more and more, um, uh, you know, in the ears of, of, of young people, of those that might perpetrate or those that might be uh, vulnerable to yeah. it? Uh, what do you think the main challenges are? I think there needs to be 20 of me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I haven't been asked that much. Yeah, exactly. Yes, we need to, to clone Sarah. Um, no, I think people, um, uh, people on the ground who are having these conversations, there are some fantastic um, uh, members of school staff, uh, foster carers, social workers that are happy to have conversations with young people around sex and relationships. Uh, but there are also people that really don't want to have to do these conversations and have these conversations. And because of the way their um, school system is set up, they might be expected to do that in form time, in uh, tutor group time. Um, and it may even be that they personally don't want to deliver these messages because they're triggering for them, um, either because of something that, you know, something that they've had done to them or that they have done to someone else. So um, I, pers- I, I would love it if there was a, a GCSE in PSHE and it was part of the curriculum. It wasn't an option, an optional extra. It was a mandatory part and a valued part of all schools' delivery. Because um, it's likely to affect everybody in our society. I know not everybody uh, will engage mm. uh, in, in, in relationships. Yeah. I, I absolutely get that. But the very overwhelming majority of us do, yeah, yeah. you know. I might never have been to France, but I learned school. I learned at school. Exactly. French, I, yes. Yes. So, yeah. Um, uh, that's an interesting, interesting contention. Um, obviously, you do what you do within Razact, which we're really grateful for <laughs> as a society. Um, but if you were commissioner for a day, if you were sat where where I sit, yeah. what would be your uh, what would be one of the first things you'd do? Apart from cloning me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't think I can. Look <laughs> at the science. Oh. What would be the thing that we would, uh, if you were me for a day, what would be that first thing you'd, you'd do? I would record some sound bites that could be used uh, to speak directly to people who, uh, who aren't aware of what is or isn't okay uh, in terms of sexual violence and maybe justify their behaviours and actions, whether that be in the home or on nights out or in their workplace. Um, so speaking, rather than it, it's fantastic, the support that's available to survivors is fantastic. Um, but I think in terms of who needs to hear the key messages, sometimes the perpetrators are missed out of the equation. Yeah. Um, so I think some direct contact with somebody considering that in the same way mm. that we are told, you know, as drivers, we need to put our seatbelts on. We need to stick to the speed limit. We need to not drink and drive. So as a driver, you're held responsible for your ability to commit an offence and you're encouraged to take precautions not to do that. I think in the same way, somebody weighing up whether or not they would carry out a sexual violence offence um, could be spoken directly to as well. Okay. Well, we'll definitely take that as, a, as an <laughs> idea of something, see what we what we can do. Um, I'm incredibly grateful uh, and incredibly proud to be uh, a partner with Razak in, in, in my time as commissioner and uh, uh, the work that you guys do is, uh, is quite extraordinary in terms of 
the tenacity uh, that often goes with your work and the adversity that I think the organisation has, uh, has battled through uh, in, in its last three decades. And hopefully um, my work and my ability to be able to work with you guys um, uh, makes that battle through adversity a little, a little easier. But as Commissioner, I'm really grateful for the work you and your colleagues do um, in this area because it, it does make a huge difference. And uh, you alluded to it earlier, the support to victims and survivors. Um, you know, I am really proud of, of, of the level it is. We can yeah. always strive to be better. Of course we can, yeah. and, and absolutely never stops it. But I'm really proud of what we can already achieve and gives me hope for the future about how bright the future um, can be. Thank you for taking the time today to come to talk uh, to the West Mercia uh, podcast. We um, don't talk, I, I think, enough about this subject in our yeah. society. And coming today, you bring it to life, I think, is an important uh, part to, to change that. So thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, anytime. And uh, thank you to the listeners. Uh, uh, this has been uh, the latest in the uh, Safer West Mercia uh, podcast. Um, we will put in the uh, in the link uh, to this podcast um, uh, signposting to uh, services if uh, any listeners have been uh, affected by some of the issues that we are um, we have talked about and the help that is uh, is available. We'll also put some links in in terms of where some of the educational um, routes are in terms of those working uh, with young people who might want to find out a bit more about how these services. Uh, can be brought to either their uh, school, their their family, or indeed uh, maybe things like youth clubs. And uh, thank you very much for uh, listening to today's podcast. Mm-hmm.